Growing up, my family prized two somewhat contradictory things. On one hand, we love good food. On the other hand, we also prized not spending a lot of money. (laughs) This made for somewhat of a conflict when we would go out to eat, which we often did and not infrequently to some nice restaurants. But I remember going out to eat at these nice restaurants because we love good food. There was always this sense that, look, don't order the most expensive thing on the menu. That was a no-no. In fact, don't order anything anywhere near the top of the most expensive things on the menu. And never, ever order appetizers or desserts. That was a cardinal sin. But you know what was worse than that? Drinks. Never order anything other than water. I mean, yes, we're here. It's good food, but we're not going to pay for a Coke. You're going to order a water. Now, those two things, the the love of good food and the need not to spend a lot of money, have stuck with me into my adulthood. And I'm grateful for both of them. But I have to tell you, it still creates conflict when I go to a restaurant or to the grocery store, a conflict between what I want to buy or order and what I know I should buy or order. And it's actually created this sort of dream, this sort of idea of of going to a restaurant sometime and just throwing caution to the wind. And just ordering everything that I want, lobster and T-bone steak and crab legs and all the sides and the appetizers. And you know those things where they say you can add this or add that for like another eight bucks or another t- And just go, yes, put it all on there. Everything, I'll take it all. And the dessert menu, yes, of course I want to see the dessert menu. Yes, I'll just, just bring me everything. You ever wanted to do that? Yeah, you ever want to just go and go, yeah, I don't care how much it costs, just bring it all. And the best. That's a dream. Like I would love to be able to do that. But you know, interestingly enough, God actually offers us something like that. I was reading through the book of Isaiah this week. And I came across a verse in which that very thing is offered to us. And it's Isaiah 55. It's verse number one. And God says it's actually an invitation. God says, come All who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. That's the point, is this idea of this luxurious food which wine and milk in that text represent. That there's something about being able to eat everything you want that makes you feel like a king, like you're king of the world. Well, here's this invitation in which God is saying, yeah, come on, come, come have all of the luxurious things. You don't have any money? No problem. Look what it says. You can have all this stuff, all of the luxurious food, no cost, no money. Now, God's using this idea, this analogy that many of us have that we would love to just go to a king's feast and be able to eat everything we want without having to pay for it. He's using this analogy as an invitation to something even better than that. Because the next verse in this passage in Isaiah 
says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. The idea here is that God's not really talking about lobster and steak, pork chops and the rest. He's talking about soul food. (laughs) The idea of joy and peace and contentment and fulfillment, satisfaction at life, love. He's saying, come and eat all you want. Can you imagine an all-you-can-eat buffet of those kinds of things? Where you simply walk through the line and go, I could use a little more joy right now. I'm going to put that right on my plate. Contentment. Fulfillment. God's saying, look, come. You can have it all. All of it. Just in the same way you and I might think about going to this all-you-can-eat feast where every kind of amazing, delicious food is offered to us free of charge. Doesn't cost anything. Order whatever you want. God's saying, look, that's what I want to give you. I want to offer that to you, food for your soul, the very richest, most beautiful, amazing things that you can feel in the depth of your soul. God says, I want to give it to you free of charge, without money, without cost. Come, listen to me. This is God, God himself speaking to you and I today. He's making this invitation to us. This is written to us saying, do you want this? Come to this all you can eat buffet. You say, well, how? (laughs) Well, Isaiah continues. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Now, a covenant is a deal. It's an agreement and arrangement. What God is saying is he's, look, I got an offer for you, you, you and I right here. I've got an offer for you. I want to give you everything your soul could ever desire free of charge, no cost, no money. How's he going to do it? By making with us the same deal he made with David, the same agreement. He's like, look, I want to make the same deal for you with you. And me, that I made with David. Now, what's that deal? Well, we want to look at that agreement this morning. Not simply because we're interested in what God had to say to David. But because he's offering that exact deal to you and I today. So take your Bible and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's page 219 in the Bibles the church provides. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And we're going to look at the deal that God offered to David, which is the same agreement that God is offering to you and I today, the same agreement on offer to us today, according to what God has said in Isaiah. Now we're going to pick up where we left off from last week. If you remember from last week, or even if you weren't here last week, David had come to realize that the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's blessings and God's presence, was something very important to him, that he wanted to be with him always, and so he was bringing it to the city of Jerusalem. But if you remember along the way, some things transpired, and David got angry with God and tried to push God out of his life. 
He didn't want God's presence with him because he thought it was too dangerous to have God around. But along the way, he realized, wait a second, if you push God out of your life, you're pushing all the blessings in life out of your life. Because God is the source of everything that's good. And so he realizes his mistake and he wants to invite God back into his city and invite God back into his life because how else are you going to be blessed unless God is around? And so we pick up that story in chapter 7, verse 1. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now let's stop right there for a moment and figure out exactly what's going on here. It sounds at first glance when you read this that David is sitting in his beautiful palace And he looks over and he feels bad because God's kind of hanging out in some dumpy tent. And he thinks, well, maybe we should build God a nice house. I've got a nice house. Maybe he should have a nice house. And then I don't have to feel bad that my house is nicer than his house. That's not really what's going on here. What's going on here is David is saying, look, God is the source of all the blessings in my life. How can I get him to stick around? (laughs) You see, a tent represents impermanence. It's the idea that God is traveling around and David's like, look, God, we don't want you to go anywhere. (laughs) I'm staying here. I want you to stay here. You've got a tent. That's been great for wandering in the wilderness. Is there any way we can get you to put down roots? Like right here, will you just actually live here? We don't want you going anywhere. We want you to stay right here. About a year ago, an Asian restaurant opened up here in uh, Cascade. And the owner of the restaurant goes to Calvary and he invited Lisa and I to come sometime and to just try his restaurant. And so we like good food. So we were glad to go and try it. And we went to this restaurant. And amazingly enough, what I told you at the beginning of the sermon I had dreamed about actually happened. Like we just simply showed up and this very kind man just started bringing us everything you could possibly imagine. Just all sorts of amazing appetizers and different foods and desserts and drinks even. Everything you can imagine. And at the end, no bill. It was great. It was fabulous. It was amazing food. And no, I'm not telling you the name of the restaurant. (laughs) This is not an advertisement. It's a story. The point is, is that when we got done eating that meal, which was amazing food and there was just, it was so great. My first thought was, how do we get this restaurant to stick around here? Like, how do we make sure that this doesn't go anywhere? That's what David is doing. He's begun to taste that the Lord is good. And his first thought is, how do we keep God from moving out of town? Like, we don't want you to go anywhere, Lord. We want you to be right here. And God, far from being angry with David, 
for wanting to build him a house is actually overjoyed. And so he continues to respond, verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. Stop right there again. Basically what God is saying to David, look, David, don't worry. I'm not going anywhere. I put you right where you're at. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to continue to bless you. God is overjoyed that David has realized that he's the source of all blessing and that God, that David wants God to stick around. And so God says to David, look, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be right here with you. I've brought you safely thus far. I'm going to keep taking you all the way. I am going to pour out my blessings on you. Now it's at this point, right in the middle of verse 11, that the ante is about to get moved up in an almost infinite amount. You see, what you have here in 2 Samuel 7 is the longest monologue of God in the scriptures since the time of Exodus. This is the longest speech we have recorded of God anywhere in scriptures. And up until this point, God has been saying, look, David, I'm with you. But in verse number 11, halfway through the verse is where this thing goes into the stratosphere. It's also the point where we come into the picture. Isaiah says, look, God's willing to make a deal with you. He wants to make the same deal with you that he made with David. What Isaiah is talking about is what we're about to read. The stuff we've read so far, that's not what Isaiah is talking about. But right here in the middle of verse 11 on, this is the deal. When God says, hey, look, come, come, you can have everything that your soul desires. When I make with you the agreement I made with David, this is what he's talking about. Beginning in verse 11, right halfway in the middle. This is what the Lord says. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. See, David wanted to build God a house meaning a temple. God says, I'm going to build you a house, meaning a dynasty. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken from him as I took it away from Saul, when I removed, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. 
Now, David is simply overwhelmed. The rest of the chapter is David just trying to wrap his mind around what God is saying to him in these verses. That it's just simply the rest of the chapter is David's expression of gratitude saying, God, is this how you normally treat people? Is this what you normally do? Like who can possibly fathom what you have just offered to me? Like this is above and beyond anything that David could have ever possibly imagined. David's like, look, I just was kind of hoping you would stick around here and keep blessing me. And now this is what you're telling me. Now, why is this such a great promise? Well, because there are four things that God promises to David here in this passage. This is part of the agreement. This is part of the deal. The four things are number one, an offspring will succeed you and God will establish his kingdom forever. Number two, he will build a house for God's name. Number three, I will be his father. God says that I will be his father and he will be my son. And number four, I will never take my love from him. Now you think, well, that's great. (laughs) Good for David. But what does that have to do with us? Like if God's trying to make the same deal with us, what do those promises have to do with us? Well, at first blush, it seems like nothing. Because the first time you read through this section, you can think that what God is talking about is Solomon. Solomon is David's son. He's an offspring who succeeds David and God establishes him as king of Israel. Solomon is also the one who builds the first temple to the Lord. David gets all of the preparations ready, but Solomon's the one who builds the building. God looks after Solomon in the same way a father would look after a son. That he says, look, I'm going to take care of Solomon. I'm going to guide Solomon. I'm going to give Solomon wisdom the same way a father gives wisdom to a son. And even though Solomon doesn't really fully walk with the Lord, God says, look, I'm never going to take my love from him. I'm never going to withdraw my love from Solomon. And so at first blush, it may seem, well, this can't have anything to do with anybody other than Solomon because that's what it's about. But even from the very earliest days of this prophecy in the Old Testament, people living in these times recognized, wait a minute, this can't really be about Solomon. It is. But it can't really be ultimately about Solomon. After all, Solomon was David's descendant, but he died. His kingdom was not established forever. Solomon's kingdom fell. When Israel went into exile, Solomon's kingdom was over. It was gone even after Solomon's own life. When Rehoboam, his son, comes, God takes the kingdom, at least half the kingdom from him. Yes, Solomon builds a temple for God, but that temple gets destroyed. It's gone. There are no remains of that temple left anywhere today. And it's true that God watched over Solomon and never took his love from him. But Solomon disobeyed the Lord and led the people astray, led them away from God. And people from the very earliest times in the very earliest place began to say when they looked at this promise, wait a minute, where's the forever bit? We see that Solomon was good and that his kingdom was was nice and it was great. But where's the forever stuff? 
How's this going to be? And from the very earliest times, people realize, wait a minute, there's got to be somebody else that this is talking about besides Solomon. And people began to give a, give a name to that person to whom these promises actually applied. And they began to call that person the Messiah. This is actually where the idea of Messiah comes from. Right here in this passage, this chapter. It's the idea of an eternal kingdom, a promise made to David that was never fulfilled in Solomon. Before 2 Samuel 7, there is no idea of Messiah in the Old Testament. This is it. If you've ever heard the word Messiah, if you've ever heard the concept of Messiah, this is where it comes from. Is that in reading this promise to David, Jews of that time realized it can't be Solomon. We're waiting for someone to come and bring us an eternal kingdom. An everlasting kingdom. And no descendant of David has these promises fulfilled about him until his descendant Jesus of Nazareth comes on the scene. That's why the very first words that introduce the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, the very opening of the New Testament The genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David. This is why in Bethlehem it is said of him in Luke chapter 1, the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. God will give him a throne and establish him as king. Jesus is the one who standing on the place of the temple, the grounds of the temple, says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. They thought he was talking about the building. He was actually talking about his body, which when he raised it from the dead, had built for us a temple in which God would dwell. That Jesus himself was the temple of God. That Jesus is the Son of God. Not just in a way that kings of Israel were sons of God, meaning that God looked out for them and cared for them. But that when Jesus came, He is the Son of God, the actual Son, the only begotten of the Father, the one who is very God of very God. And that this Jesus, we are told, is given an everlasting kingdom. An everlasting kingdom That is for all time. This is why in the book of of Revelation it says the kingdoms of our God, of this world, have become the kingdom of our God and of his Messiah, Jesus. And this is why the picture at the end of time is of Jesus ruling over all things. And God's dwelling is with men. And there's more food to eat than anybody knows what to do with Everybody is sitting around at the great messianic banquet, the great feast of the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises made to David. Then in 2 Samuel 7, God has said to David, look, I'm going to give you an eternal kingdom. Jesus, the Messiah, is the one who comes to fulfill that promise. Now, again, we're still on the same question. 
What does that have to do with you and I today? Well, let's go back to where we started in Isaiah 55. Remember what God says. Look, you want all you can eat of the soul food? You want all the peace, the joy, the contentment, the fulfillment, the satisfaction? You want all of that? Give ear and come to me. God says, hear me that your soul may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. What God is saying is, look, the same deal I offered to David, I'm now offering to you. You and I get this same deal. What is it that we're being offered? An eternal kingdom. A kingdom that will last forever. That's why when John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of Jesus, shows up on the scene, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is why when Jesus comes, he comes preaching the good news about the kingdom, that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is now available for you and I to have. This is why Paul says anybody who believes in Jesus will inherit the kingdom of God. You'll get exactly what David got, an eternal kingdom. This is the offer that God is making to you and I today. That's why Isaiah 55 continues. Look at the next verse. See, I have made him, that's David, him a witness to the peoples, plural, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, this is David, and nations that you do not know will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. What this is talking about is, look, nations that David knows nothing about. Nations like America and China and Zambia and Chile. Nations that David never in a million years would have known anything about. David will be a witness to them. The idea is, look, David, you're going to be the one that I'm going to be able to say, hey, look, you want what he got? You want the blessings that he had? They're available to you. You want God to be in your midst? You want God to give you all these blessings so much so that just like David, you want to fall down on your knees and say, Lord, how is this your normal way of dealing with people? How can you be so good? He says, David, you're going to be the witness. And nations you don't even know are going to look at you and say, that same deal is available to me? That same deal is available to me? It is. It is a kingdom. A kingdom that will never end. A kingdom in which there is full of joy and peace and contentment and love and companionship. A kingdom in which there is no more crying or mourning or sorrow or pain. A kingdom in which everything you could possibly want is available to you. And a kingdom in which God dwells with you forever. That's what God is offering to you today and to me. That's the offer and David is simply the witness. God says, I want to make the same covenant with you that I made with him. A kingdom for you to experience all the blessings of God's presence dwelling with you. I say, well, if that's the offer, how does somebody accept? <laughs> say, I'll, t- I'll take that. Well, Isaiah 55 tells us exactly how somebody accepts. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. This offer is not going to last forever. 
Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. How do you receive a kingdom that will never fade or perish or spoil? You simply turn to the Lord. What does that mean? It means you believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the promised one, the one that God had said he would send. The one who fulfills the promise to David that Jesus is Lord. And that God has given to Jesus an eternal kingdom. And that kingdom is now being offered to you and I. That if you will simply turn to him and say, yeah, I'll take the kingdom. That if you turn away from your wicked ways, if you turn away from the sins and following after your own desire and trying to build your own kingdom and simply turn to God, God will freely and completely forgive everything, pardon all of your sins and give you an eternal kingdom. Isn't that amazing? That offer, it's not going to last forever. But while the Lord is near, if you right now Simply turn to him and say, I I do believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, who else is going to come and fulfill these things? Is there anybody even today who even knows they're a descendant of David? Here is this person who fulfills every one of these promises. He builds a house so that God can dwell with us, his presence, a temple with us. His kingdom has been established. We are still talking about the kingdom of Jesus today. You ever think about that? God made a promise to David almost 3,000 years ago that people would be talking about his kingdom forever. Who else is that true of? Is anybody talking about Alexander the Great's kingdom? Or Julius Caesar's kingdom? Or Xerxes' kingdom? God goes on record 3,000 years ago to say to David, look, people are still going to be talking about you. All over the earth, countries that have never even heard of you before are going to be talking about you. It's happening through Jesus. It's true of nobody else. Who else is going to come along that this is going to fulfill these things? God wrote this stuff down thousands and thousands of years ago. What he's saying is, look, the offer is true. The offer is valid. You can have an eternal kingdom. A kingdom that will never perish, spoil, or fade. All you have to do is accept the king of the kingdom. And Jesus is that king. Anointed by God, established by God as a king from the line of David to reign forever and ever. And when you by faith accept that Jesus is the king of that kingdom, then you inherit the kingdom then it's yours. And this picture of an all-you-can-eat feast, this picture of everything that you could possibly want, your souls desire God's presence with you forever and ever. That offer is given to you free of charge, just as it was given to David. Notice there was nothing David had to do. David didn't have to go out and earn something. David didn't didn't have to build something. He didn't have to do something. All he had to have was the desire to have God with him. That was it. There was nothing in that agreement, in that deal that said, okay, David, you do this part, I'll do this part. God simply looks at David's heart and says, you want to be blessed. You want me 
you can have all of it. That's the same deal God's offering to you this morning. You want blessings? You want God's presence in your life? He wants to give you more than you could ever hope for, ever imagine. An eternal kingdom. A kingdom full of joy, peace, hope, contentment, companionship, love, and everything your hearts desire. Think about that. This is an offer from God to you. Let's pray together. Father, they're not going to hear this as an offer from you to them if they think it's from me. Lord, your spirit must speak into their hearts right now so they can know. Lord God, I pray that if their souls are burning within them, Lord, that they might realize that it's you who calling them. Call them by name, Lord God. Jesus, call your sheep by name into your flock. Lord, please come and let them know that this offer is valid for them. Lord, I pray for those who are here who have already accepted this eternal kingdom. Would you help us like David to be able to fall on our knees and say, who are we that you should treat us like this? God, is this your normal way of doing things? That you would freely give us an eternal kingdom that you would make us? I mean, David was a lowly shepherd, but who are we? That you would make us kings for eternity? Lord God, we thank you and we bless you. And Lord, we pray that like David, we would be witnesses to those around us that they might see that you have raised up for yourself people that you want to bless. God, we're awed and amazed at who you are. Jesus, we declare that you are Lord, that you, this is your kingdom and you're freely sharing it with us. And Jesus, we thank you. Amen.